Hello out there, you guys. This is Pamela Fagan Hutchins, and you have reached Wine, Women, and Writing. This is the podcast slash videocast where I talk with other authors, usually kick-ass women, about their kick-ass female characters, authentic, complex, where they got them from. So that's what we'll delve into today. But before we really get kicking that off, I want to invite you to support women in the arts. And one way that you can do it is by going out to my website and no, not buying my books, although that would be great, but by going to Wine, Women, and Writing, the page on my website, where you can subscribe to the free podcast delivered straight via RSS to your favorite device, or you can even um, consider a Patreon pledge and making sure the show gets to continue. And if you do, then I will love you forever. And I think my guest will too. My guest today is Mara Weiler. Hello. Hello. Nice to meet you all. <laughs> would you love them forever supporting I would them? love you forever. Yes. I already love her forever for doing this. <laughs> this is fun. And I, it's, a, it's a blessing for me. And, and we're coming to you today from BoucherCon in Dallas. And mm -hmm. BoucherCon is a big mystery thriller suspense um, conference. And it pairs up the creators of the books that we all love with the people that read them so mm -hmm. it's kind of a fan immersion experience but I find that with me as an example with my fangirl podcast that writers are also readers and we're each other's fangirls if you will so mm -hmm. that's how um, I was eavesdropping a little bit on Mara today when she was talking about um, her first novel it was your first novel right yes. Contrition and I was so intrigued by the, the uh, concept that I immediately turned to her and said, would you please be on my, on my show? <laughs> and so I suckered her into it, and here she is. So, Happy to be here. I'm glad you're here. And so um, before we start talking about your book, book with an soon-to-be S on the end because it will uh -huh. be books, yes. but um, before we start talking about it, you are from Denver. I am you not. Live I in live Denver. in Denver. You yes. live in Denver. I have found very few people that are from Denver, but I found a lot that live there. So it's, it's a magnet. It's a destination city, yes. <laughs> kind of like Los Angeles where I lived prior. It's every, oh. Nobody is from there. Everybody goes there. Now, then where are you from? You're just... I am from... I was born in Florida, but I'm from Connecticut. I grew up on okay. the East Coast. You've been all over. I have. You really have. Mm -hmm. And so with respect to your writing... You didn't start out as a novelist, but you've been a writer for a while, or do I have that backwards? You've written other things. Yeah, I think we've all been writers forever. I mean, my <laughs> first poem in third grade, but yeah. <laughs> uh, but I was a film executive in Hollywood, so I uh, helped produce and develop other people's screenplays there. So um, Speed, Twister, The Haunting, The Minority Report. Just these little movies. Yeah, just little movies. Little movies. And I would, once we, it was, it was sort of like I was an editor for the screenplay as opposed to an editor for a book. So we would, I would find books that we wanted to acquire or, um, or screenplays, and then I would work with the writer to develop the story. Do you think that that then shaped the kind of novelist that you became? Oh, absolutely. I am very plot-driven, having written a bunch of screenplays prior to this. I've had a couple options, um, but nothing has been produced um, yet. Yet. Everything takes about 12 years in Hollywood. Just bear that in mind if you're ever trying to get something produced. Um, but I cannot write a book without a plot because I, I I can't I'm just so plot driven every chapter has to be moving you towards the next thing are you a plotter as in before you start yes I'm a plotter mm -hmm. not a pantser and um, in fact uh, contrition my first novel 
It came to me in about 10 minutes, the entire plot. And I was like, wow, that's really good. If it only were this easy I know, it's not that easy all the time. <laughs> and I was like, that's great, but that's a book. So yeah. I'm not going to write it because books are too scary. Oh, really? Too so this scary. this is back when you were still. Yes, way too scary. So I just tried to ignore it, but then I continued researching it in spite of myself. So, so you... You didn't aspire to be a novelist so much as you couldn't help but become a novelist. Right. I mean, I always, you know, I have a master's in literature. I've always revered the written word, but a book was too scary. Mm -hmm. You know, if you write a screenplay and it gets made, you can blame everybody if it's bad. <laughs> you can blame the person you made mm -hmm. the food. You can blame the director. You can blame the actor. But if the book is bad, guess whose fault it is? So, Absolutely. It too scary. Yeah. Well... Thank goodness you came to your senses. I did, yes. <laughs> and so, when, were you already out of Hollywood when you started writing the no, novel, or were you doing it in secret? I was in Hollywood. Um, Contrition tells the story of a journalist who is adopted, and she's a tabloid journalist in Los Angeles. And she discovers that she has a twin sister who is a world-class painter. Uh, so she wants to break the story because this is huge, and it could get her off the tabloid and onto a real newspaper. However, her sister is a cloistered nun who refuses to show or sell her work out of humility and, in fact, will burn it, throw it out, paint over it, all those sorts of things, just because she feels that it's God painting through her and it's all about the process of painting as prayer and it has nothing to do with anybody seeing it. And I should add, the father who raised the nun and did not raise Dory, the journalist, was a world-class painter himself, so she saw what that kind of fame did, and so she was essentially hiding in the convent. Yeah, I drove her to the convent, and mm -hmm. and there's a story there in and of itself, and how the the twin sisters were separated, and one was raised by the father, and right, didn't, they didn't know each other. I take it. And Correct, they did not, and um, they. She only discovers the sister when her adoptive parents die and then that's the famous father leaves her a painting and then she discovers that she has a twin through it. So how did this full-fledged story come to you in that 10-minute flash of inspiration? Where did this come from? I mean this is a cool idea. Was it just like boom or It was kind inspired? of a boom but I used to joke that uh, I just wanted to go join the convent so I could write in peace and everybody, <laughs> nobody would bother me, right? Right, right. Um, but it turns out, and as I mentioned, I started to research this uh, in spite of myself because I was so fascinated. Cloistered nuns um, work really hard. They, they pray for seven hours a day and they work for five. So there's not a lot of time for writing unless, uh -oh. or yeah. you're painting your masterpiece unless that's your job there and they're selling it so right. sort of thing. So how did she get the time for it, the character in your book? She paints in the middle of the night. She okay. doesn't... Uh, and I interrupted our thought. Oh, which no, that's was, okay. How did you get the idea? And you so, were talking about your, your thinking that you could write in a convent. Right, right. Learning that you couldn't. Right. Yeah. And then I, I honestly didn't know until I did an interview later with Colorado Public Radio what the book was about. And they <laughs> said, who is art for? And I was like, oh, my God, that's, that's the book. And it's the, I realized that these two characters are my own struggle, as any, any creative person struggle, between art for art's sake and art for fame and profit. So here I am, this um, glorious painter who loves to paint just for the joy of it and would never need to paint again if, uh, you know, or, or that's all I want to do. I have no interest in selling it. But if I sold it, 
I could have more time to paint. I wouldn't be working my day job, you know. So there's always that challenge that people have as creatives where you want to be, well, at least for me for writing, and I'm also an artist, you just want to create. You can't not do it. But then there's this drive to, but if I sold it, maybe I could make more. But then when I sell it, people start asking me to change it and things like that, and it becomes very difficult. Commissions, for example, are a nightmare as an artist because you're like, what if they're not happy? Da, 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 da. Yeah. Oh, I can see that totally. I mean, I can't imagine being commissioned to write something personally for someone, you uh-huh. know, and that it, to please that person as opposed to create right. your story and hope that it reaches an audience. And it's interesting because to me, there is a fulfillment of art in it being received and enjoyed. Right. And, and so, you know, that stopping at the point of creation and that being enough doesn't quite satisfy what I get out of enjoying the art. You know, art, for art's sake, can be enjoyed by others even if it never made any money, right? Because right. If it was going to make money, we'd all be rich. Right. <laughs> and we're not. Right. Um, we are not. But the, the idea that I wouldn't be able to read someone's wonderful book or that I wouldn't be able to view the painting is is somewhat tragic to me right and and in fact my um my thesis in graduate school talked about you know the artist the audience as co-creator yeah of and in fact it was about films and it's so far insofar as the projectionist once I watched a film where the reel actually caught fire this was back when they were um in different, you know, in the old right. format. The, yeah, and not only did one reel catch fire, they showed the reels out of order. So this person actually rewrote the movie <laughs> by making mistakes. And the thing that's so fascinating now that I do have a book out there is it would be tragic not to share it because people come up to me and go, oh, and then you put this layer in and you did this and you did And you're like, I did not do that, but I sound really smart. Thank you. But <laughs> yeah. that's the person's interpretation right. and that's what they're bringing to it. Like, for example, I'm not a wildly religious person. I was just fascinated by the story. But people who are religious see a lot of spirituality in the book. People who are not at all religious enjoy the story. So it really is what the reader or the art viewer brings to it that really completes it as art. I, I, you know, when you're sitting and you're writing a book and you're pretty much by yourself mm-hmm. as a writer, you know, even if you have writing groups and stuff, you're pretty much by yourself and you're creating, you're creating, you're creating. And there is this moment where other people start to read it that's like actualization. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't need someone else's approval, you need the shared experience. Right. You need that that it became what it was destined to be for that person and that somehow you delivered. You know what I mean? It's right. like you delivered it and it's like it's just, oh, labor is over. You know, right. it's gotten to its person. And it is, it's different for, for every person that picks up a book. It's a, a tremendously scary and a tremendously rewarding process which, mm-hmm. and it's also an obsession that we can't quite seem to quit pursuing. No, no we can't. And it was so nice too to I I had to kind of sort of pretend I wanted to be a cloistered nun to even meet them. I had to, you know, go oh, into cool. the office of the vocation and nuns I would, is probably bad. But, but then <laughs> as soon as I got there they said, "Oh, you you're asked." I said, "I'm here to write a book, not to become a nun." And they were like, "Oh, but you ask questions like you want to be a nun." And I was like, "Oh, that's very scary because I was single at the time." And there's this no, no, thing no. called uh, oh, I can't remember, but it's 
when your vocation is seen by everyone but you. Yeah. And and oh. so then when you finally go, oh, I got to tell my family I'm going to be none, and they're like, we know. We've been watching <laughs> you go head that way for 20 years, you know. So it's really interesting to be able to bring their voice after having been there in the cloister, literally behind bars. They they could take those bars down, but they, they, they don't, don't want to spend the money. Um, <laughs> and bring their voice out in this story and share their lives, which are really, it's a really fascinating place. I, I mean, like I said to you guys earlier, you know, she's talking about it to somebody else at breakfast today, and I found it <laughs> extremely fascinating. So I'm really looking forward to picking this up and diving in. I also think, by the way, that um, your family probably wasn't surprised when you said, and by the way, I'm writing a novel. Yeah, yeah no, no. no. They've seen that coming. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this is not the only um, book because there's another in the works yes. with Mara, and this one is also intriguing, and yet so, so different. Completely different. I think the only tie is that I am fascinated by um, subcultures. You know, no one knows about cloistered nuns. And I, it's just funny because that when I was researching that, when I went one weekend, I went on a silent retreat for people who wanted to be priests and nuns. And by the way, no one could stop talking. I was like, <laughs> this is a silent, no talking retreat. <laughs> And at that point, I was still scared because the nun had said, well, maybe you want to be a nun. <laughs> and then the next weekend, I went to the Tizorama um, Burlesque Festival. Nice. Because I was researching for something else, and I thought that was a fascinating nice. subculture. Yeah. And had an equally good time. So in pasty <laughs> making class, I realized that yeah. I was not nun material. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. There's so much I want to ask right now. <laughs> So then when I, uh, I, t I was working in HR, basically I left my Hollywood job to write books and moved to Colorado and got a receptionist job so I could write all day. And, and they're like, how's, how's your novel coming? And I was like, great, thanks for paying for it because I would sit there and write it all day, right? So after a few of those jobs, um, I ended up answering an ad. I ended up kind of fell into HR hiring seasonal workers. So I thought it was going to be like amusement park for people. And I got there and it was hiring real bearded Santas for the malls across the country. And I was like, oh my God, I have to have this job. This is my subculture. Three this is it. Yeah. people in the country have this job. I have to have this job. Because when you have a real beard, you're Santa all the time. You're Santa in the line at the concert. You're Santa at the bar. You're Santa when you're pissed off in traffic. You have got to behave yourself because there are small people watching you all the time. And you have to keep your beard because it doesn't oh, just no. like grow back. It has to be long, luxurious, yes, and full. Four inches or longer, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and if it is not white enough, it has to be bleached, which is illegal in some states because of the chemicals, the fumes. So wow. they do these back alley BJs, I call them, back alley bleach jobs, where oh they God. go and uh, get it done like at a beauty school. When we sat down to talk about nuns, I really didn't <laughs> see this going to pasty making and back, to back alley BJs. I just did it. So, oh, funny. Thank you. Sure. So anyway, that one's called Deck the Mall. <laughs> and I'm just getting it to my agent now, so it's taking me forever. Because literally, after having the job, I had PTSD, post-traumatic Santa disorder. Oh, yeah. I was completely traumatized. So <laughs> I, and then I was challenged because is this a memoir? Is this fiction? And I kept trying to write it as fiction. And finally, I just had to write the memoir and throw it out so that I could write the fiction and be freed up from my own trauma. <laughs> <laughs> 
So oh this is gosh. how far I've come because yeah. I, I, for two years, I couldn't even see a dog in a Santa hat without feeling ill. And the Santas were great. It was mostly the, the boss who was yeah. a problem. And my character's trying to save the Santas from the boss, which I was so not this as is, affected this as. this is not a Billy Bob Thornton and bad Santa. No, no. This is, this is the Santas being, you know, treated like... You know, laborers. This is yes. the Santas being taken advantage of. Kids, just so you save know, Santa. Santas work. So these guys are what, 60 plus, 60 to 80 years old? If they're a real bearded Santa, chances are they're working every shift of the holiday season. That is 12 hours a day, seven days a week for eight weeks. In a lot of clothing. In a lot of clothing, under heat. Some of my guys in Florida were outdoors sweating. It oh. was, yeah. And I would say some of the parents maybe not always acting real Oh, no, real no. Nice. You'll see a little of that in the mm -hmm. book. Yeah. So uh, I have so much respect for these gentlemen, and um, I hope that I have done them justice in the book. Did, I, did they know you were, you were going to write about the experience? I um, don't know if they knew. They, they do have a convention, and so at the following year I went and just kind of lurked at the convention. <laughs> I totally spied. I did not participate. And that's actually... That was all over the news. There was a lot of Santa scandal around the time I was doing it, but that's a separate movie that is actually going to be made, I believe. So yeah. I don't talk about that much, yeah. but I was a bit of a lurker. I do see a Santa on the regular now um, through uh, church, and he uh, does not know <laughs> that I've written this book. He was the very first Santa I met on my job, and I will ask him to read it before it comes out for accuracy, just yeah. like I had a nun read Contrition. So... When you get these these readers that are immersed in the life that you're writing about, is that scary for you? Uh, or by then, are you feeling like, I think I've got this? I think I've got it usually by the time. Now, it's been a long time since I had that job, like I said, because I had to work through the trauma. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think so. I, I don't think anyone's going to say, well, a Santa would never do that because there are so many different Santas. There, you know. Yeah. Some of them were, you know. Still waters run deep, Mara. I when I met you. you this morning, <laughs> not a thing that's come out of your mouth is what I thought I'd hear. And uh, I love it. And I will, I was trying to get to, I couldn't even look at a dog in a Santa hat, right? Right. And then I wrote the memoir and, and that was like, oh, I took out, I got it all out. So now I have the Santa costume and I can actually put it on and wear it tonight at the Halloween. That is exciting. Because I've come that far with my you, Santa recovery. Your Santa recovery is almost complete. <laughs> it is. I hope that I hope that you know that you're able to help other people that have similarly so. experienced the trauma. I hope so. And I hope maybe the Santas will speak up for themselves a little more if they read the book and say, Hey, that's true. That you worked me way too hard. <laughs> Santa abuse. It's elder <laughs> abuse. It it's like discrimination against people with great beards. And, it's true. You know, that's not fair. It's true. <laughs> Well, I, I I don't know what you're going to do to top Deck the Malls. I, yeah. I mean, what, do you have a next idea? I do. Um, it was, I almost sold it to DreamWorks as an animated film. Oh, yeah? Uh, years and years ago. Uh, it's called, right now, I don't know if this is the title that's going to work, it's called The Strad and the Strat. And it is about a blues guitar falling in love with a Stradivarius violin and, you know, She's Classism. too old for him. Yeah. He's from the she's from the wrong side. He's from the wrong side of the tracks. This and that. And it really only as I've evolved as a human and um, become an adoptive mom after years after actually writing this book about adoption that took a while to get published. Um, I, and one of my children is uh, multiracial. 
have I learned? And I have totally lost my train of thought. Scrang, oh, scrap. oh, oh, that it's that it's the story of race. So I'm so glad that I didn't sell it back when I did because it's going to be a very different. What story did you now. see it as then? More of like a romance, you know, and she needed saving, and he was trying to become a like the classical instruments. He was actually learning classical pieces and want to be more like them. And then in the end, um, he they actually come around and start playing the blues, but which is his specialty, the mm -hmm. classical instruments, and mm -hmm. that actually saves them. <laughs> but it's uh, so I'm not telling it well. But at any rate, it was a story of love, love story, and now it's more about race and class and cultural appropriation and all kinds of heavy topics for what is probably a chapter book. But, you know, we'll figure that out. <laughs> you don't seem afraid to tackle anything. I am not afraid. I'm I not love afraid. that. She's not afraid, you guys. And this has been Mara Weiler, and you're going to want to go pick up a copy of Contrition and wait patiently for Deck the Malls, um, which you know, it's not going to take 12 years like it does with movies, but it's still not going to be tomorrow. So right. hang in there. <laughs> um, thanks so much for Thank you, sitting Pamela. down and talking. This was, it was so much fun. It was a lot of fun. Okay. And for those of you out there, if you would like, remember, go out to PamelaFaganHutchins.com. I'd really love to be able to keep doing these shows and keep writing the books and doing them both kind of hard. But mm -hmm. I love absolutely love being involved with women's voices and making sure that you guys get to meet and hear about some of the new and exciting talent with um, female characterization out there in the literary world and this has been a copyrighted production solely owned by authors on the air global radio network thank you pam stack for all you do in helping authors um uh, release their babies into the world and have people hear about them and the rest of you guys go out and read a good book Bye.